everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. All right. If you had to describe the gospel to somebody, where would you start? This is a question that we ask our Young Life leaders when we do Young Life leader training, where I come from. Um, every time that we're, we're trying to introduce them to, what is it exactly that we're trying to do with the teenagers that we're reaching out to? And it's, it's a fascinating study. And oftentimes you start to see people's church background or their theological upbringing and how they begin to answer. Sometimes you have somebody who starts with, well, um, God made everything, but then there was this fall. And then they start drawing this picture of these cliffs and then this cross that goes between the cliffs and it bridges everything. And, and really quickly in the story, and I'm curious in your own head as you answer the question, how would you describe the gospel to somebody? How quickly do you jump into here's that cliff thing or here's that fall or here's when things go wrong? It's a, it's a really easy trap to fall into because that starts in chapter three of the dang story. Like it's right away. And so it's, it's really easy to blitz over those first couple chapters. But I think when we do that, we, we miss the point. And, and when you miss the point on something, it's both devastating and it's humorous. And to show you this a little bit, I brought some pictures today of people who have missed the point on some stuff. Can we show some of these pictures? Crest, 24-hour protection, use two times a day. Great marketing. This is a, just highlighting the heck out. That's not, you're, that's, you're using it wrong. Give me the next one. You might have to stare at this for a second to figure it out. It'll hit you. Yeah, he's a puppy. Keep going. <laughs> Secret center muffins, lemon flavor sponge oozing with lemon curd in the middle. It's not, it's not a secret. Give me another one. Connect the dots. There's some kid out there who's like, I love this. Like, this is amazing. Give me, give me another one. Breaking news. The Titanic sunk 102 years ago. It, we missed it by a little bit. And then one more. Uh, running is not recommended. That, some of you, you're like, that is my New Year's resolution right there. I need that particular one. Give me that last one. Okay, this one is my favorite because you really have to look at it for a second. The first time I looked at this, I thought it was the wall that was the problem because who wants to have two people walking into their own little room? I mean, can you imagine the conversation like the one guy sitting down like, hey, how's your day, how's your day going? Just weird, but as you look at it longer, you're gonna notice a bar above the toilet which I, I can't figure out if this is a total win. Like this is like a bear down and like you really, you really need it. Or if this was somebody who just walked in and was like, we got to put it on the wall. This spot looks good. Double whammy with that one. But when we miss the point, when we miss the point, it, it, it goes totally awry. The, the thing that it was supposed to be loses its function altogether. You can't connect the dots on something that's already been connected. It's not breaking news if it's 102 years old. We, the, the original intent of the thing is gone. And when we start describing our faith to people, it's so important that we don't miss the beginning. 
this prologue that we carry in our story is so important. And if you're new to this world of faith or this world of Christianity, if you're just checking things out today, I hope today is just such a sweet gift for you because we're gonna spend time going back to the very beginning of it all and looking at what was the original intent for all of this. Uh, we're starting a sermon series, and I'm, I'm just delighted. There's a, there's a poetic piece in this for me of, I'm a brand new pastor. Where are we going to start? The beginning sounds pretty good. <laughs> Where are we going to start in the beginning? Well, at the very beginning. It's actually the prologue to the whole story. That's where we're going to begin. So for the next um, five weeks to come, we're just going to be in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So if you brought your Bible with you today, you can turn right now to Genesis 1, 1. You would think this would be like turn to page 1. Our Bibles really complicate this. You're going to have to turn for a while to find the first chapter of the story. But you can get there now and just hold that page. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But here's why we're going to start there. Um, we're going to learn about what the original intent of the story was, what the original intent of God was. When we do this, we have to remember that like, the book that you're holding in your hand or that you're looking at in your phone is thousands of years old. And sometimes we'll approach a book like Genesis from a modern day perspective and go, well, what's the science behind this? Is it a literal six days or what's going on? That's, that's not really the point. It doesn't mean that that doesn't matter, but that's not what the original intent of this was. It's not a scientific textbook. There's also some issues that are gonna come up as we read through this over the next several weeks. Gender is one. Oftentimes, Genesis 2 and 3 will be referred back to in conversation about gender. We're not gonna go there in this series. That doesn't mean that it's not an important and really great conversation, but that's also not the initial point of this prologue. In the end, I'm delighted for this series. I can't wait to get through it with you. I hope that it invites you to have more joy I hope that it invites you to take more pleasure in life. I hope that it invites you to rest at a spiritual level. And I hope that it invites you to be deeply and personally connected with the character of God that you meet here. This is jam-packed. All right, so we're going to dive in. Before we get um, too much further, it's also important that you know a little bit about Jewish literature. Um, the ancient Middle Eastern culture wasn't interested in facts. If they were to write down a history, they would record it significantly differently than you and I would today. They were worried about telling a truth about something, but not by just communicating facts. It wasn't like a math class or a science lab. It was more like a literature class or a poetry class. If you wanted to learn something, you had to do it through a story or through an experience. You couldn't just have somebody tell you. And there was always a point to the story. It, it was not something in the ancient Middle East or even today in these cultures where truth is relative. Truth was placed there with intention, on purpose, and it was meant to be discovered, but it was not written down black and white, plain and simple, here you go. The point in stories like this is that it's a treasure hunt, and it's so much fun. The point for these authors is they're writing books like Genesis. Anything you're going to find in the Old Testament oftentimes will be, we want to tell you something true, but if I just tell it to you, you won't know it for yourself. You won't have earned it. You won't have been on the journey to discover why this truth is so important. So what they're going to do is they're going to hide these things. And so as we study the word, 
it's so important that we go on the journey ourselves. You, if you just read this black and white, here's what it says, that's, that's what it's telling me. Oh my gosh, we're missing the point. So that's going to be so much of what these next five weeks will be doing is just unpacking layer after layer after layer. And it's a journey and it's a treasure hunt. And there's solid gold buried at the base of this thing. It's amazing. Um, so the story for today, let me introduce you with um, a couple thoughts. The first five books of the Bible, as we understand it and receive it today, were written down by Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, this is happening right about the beginning, middle of the book of Exodus, which is the next book. This is about 1300 BC, and it's really important contextually, and this will pop up a bunch, to know that the whole nation of Israel, the Hebrews, have been enslaved by Egypt. If you've seen uh, Prince of Egypt or if you've seen um, uh, the, the Moses movie that Charlton Heston did, you, you have some context for this. They've just come out of slavery. They're in the wilderness, and Moses goes up on this mountain and talks with God. And God gives him the Ten Commandments, but historically we understand he gave him these first, the, everything. He gave him this first story. He gave him the prologue. So we understand that this is God telling Moses a story and saying, write this down. People need to know this. As Moses is up on Sinai, not only have they just come out of Egypt, but they're just getting ready to go into Babylon. And Babylon is a pretty wild place, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But um, there's, some, there's a really big piece of context. There's so many things I've just told you. If I could have you hold on to one thing for the next five weeks, it would be this. These are slaves. These are newly liberated slaves who for the first time are being given a freedom to figure out what do I do with my time? What do I do as a parent? What do we do about a government or politics? What do we do? Keep that in mind because the story that we hold as followers of Jesus is similar. We were once slaves to something and as we become liberated, the questions we begin asking are, what do, I, what do I do with my time? What do I do about government? What, what do I do with God? This, this idea of liberated slaves is a theme that scripture will pick up over and over and over, and we're getting taste of it even in Genesis 1. Okay, so here we go. I've got three stories that I'm going to share with you today, and this is going to be like 9 p.m. at the Krieger house. My kids are in bunk beds. We're reading a story together type of story time, okay? So lean back in your chairs, and I just want you as best you can to picture this because I'm going to share the stories of Ra, the Egyptian god, Marduk, the Babylonian god, and a god named Elohim, who's the god of these Hebrews. And as you hear these stories, I want you to start thinking about what makes these so different because the reason why we're looking at these is Ra is where these Hebrews have come from. Marduk is where they're going. Elohim is who they're supposed to carry with them. You'll see the tension at play here. All right, the story of Ra. Buckle up, you guys. This gets exciting. 3100 BC, roughly. And it goes like this. Before creation, there was only darkness. Only darkness embraced the primeval ocean, which was all there was. That's when the original creator, a tomb, decided it was time for creation to begin. 
an island emerged from the water to support a tomb who manifested himself in the form of Ra, the sun god of Egypt. On a primeval hill, Ra created out of himself the first god, Shu, the god of air, and his partner, Tefnut, the goddess of humidity, who would engender other gods to complete the cosmos, Geb, the earth god, and Nut, the sky goddess, and so on. In turn, these two birthed the primary gods of life, namely Osiris, the perfect being who eventually would rule over the rest of the world as well as his sister and wife, Isis. Also their brother, Seth, and their sister, Nephthys. As Ra was finishing creation, he stopped and surveyed creation and everything he saw was perfect. Okay, I'm gonna pause for a second because if you've ever read Genesis before, Bell should be going off in your head of like, hang on, hang on plagiarism. <laughs> Something, something's amiss. We got water. We got nothingness. We've got a God who's really happy with creation. Hold on to that. The sight of such wonders brought such tears to his eyes that the tears fell to the earth and they grew into human beings. Now, Osiris was a kind and wise ruler who taught humans agriculture and civilization. He and his wife and sister Isis formed the perfect couple, but their brother Seth was unruly. He was the opposite of Osiris. In fact, Seth envied Osiris so much that he killed him so that he could inherit his throne and rule Egypt the way he wanted. Seth's sister and partner Nephthys could not stop this murder despite her love for her siblings. The death of Osiris led to something amazing. He was resurrected through the magic of his wife long enough to impregnate her with their son Horus, who would later avenge his father and recapture the throne of Egypt. Then Osiris departed to the other world to rule over the deceased, thus ensuring resurrection in the cycle of life. Yet the myths did not end there. While the aging Ra was fine-tuning his creations, humanity rebelled against him. The god decided on extermination, asking his tear-giving eye for help again. To fulfill her task, the eye transformed herself into a fierce lioness and began slaughtering humanity, delighted in the feeding. When Ra saw the carnage, he felt sorry for his beloved children. He stopped the massacre, but refused to live anymore amongst the humans. This led to a journey to the other world where Ra created the 12 hours of day by sailing the sky from the eastern horizon to the west, illuminating the world, allowing all creation to flourish under his rays. To be continued. This is the story that the Hebrews have been hearing for generations and generations and generations. This is the story of Egypt. It's really fascinating and incredible and beautiful. There's some really cool stuff going on. Now, I'm going to continue a long-standing discovery tradition because I think the best way to compare and contrast these stories that we're going to hear about today is a Venn diagram. <laughs> so here's level one. We've got Egypt. Do we have that up? Do we have those ones? Yes, here we go. Oh, it's a little small. Sorry about that. Here's what, here's what we can learn from this first story. If you're Egyptian, death and life have this equal importance. There's this dualism that we begin to see in their world. It even shows up in these couples. It's so important that these gods and goddesses show up in couplets. This God sees creation as perfect. Hold on to that word perfect. That's a really important and distinct word. Humanity here is made on accident and wonder, and it's part of him, but it's not like him. That's really important. 
God is above here. All these gods are above. And in fact, we see with Ra that when things go awry, he completely removes himself from the creation. He'll hang out in the sky. He'll be the sun. But then he, he's not going to interact at that point anymore. And we'll see in just a second, there is a similarity here with one of the other stories we're going to hear about that God loves this rebellious creation anyway. It's really interesting. Um, just for giggles, I think that uh, I'm going to throw a movie doppelganger in here for each one. Um, the movie doppelganger for Egypt, I'm going to put down as the Lion King. And here's why. You've got this dad who's kind of a removed figure. You've got this whole circle of life thing going on. And it's African. So it felt like it all kind of came in together. So there you go. That is, um, that's the story of, of Egypt. These Hebrews would have picked up a lot of this along the way. Not just the stories, but some of the things going on. And, and this is so like, it starts to bend your mind as you start to put all the pieces together because as Moses is up on Sinai, hearing this story from God for the first time, if you know this story, the whole rest of the nation, thousands of people are down the mountain making a giant golden calf. A calf was represented by the god Isis or not Isis, by Apis. Apis was the Egyptian god of production, of, of fertility, but more like rain and crops and, and production on that level. You have this whole group of people that have just gone out in the wilderness, and at the first sign of trouble, the first thing they do is they create an Egyptian god and say, we, we're gonna continue this dynamic. And if you remember this story, Moses comes down the mountain, and it's, it's chaos, because this is not the story that God tells his people. All right, we're going to keep going. The Babylonian story. Okay, <laughs> just fair warning. This one's like PG-13. <clears throat> You'll be fine if you have kids in the crowd, but this is wild. Like this story gets, just, it's, just, it's just chaos. Ready? Here we go. For those, if you, if you just got worried as a parent, like should I send my kid out of the room? You're fine. Marduk, the story of Marduk. We understand this to be around 1800 BC. Uh, Egypt was about 3100, so quite a bit of time has passed here. And the Babylonians, this is like modern day Iran, um, Iraq, kind of in that part. This is where the, Egypt, the Hebrews are going. And this story goes this way. Once upon a time, before either heaven or earth had names, there was the god Apsu and the goddess Tiamat. Apsu ruled over the fresh water and Tiamat ruled over the salt water. They started having babies and their kids had kids and their kids' kids had kids. Now, all of these kids were not good kids. They were so crazy. They would go to battle with each other. They would call each other names. They were just plain rude and they wouldn't even let Apsu and Tiamat sleep at night because they were so loud and awful. If you've got kids under three, you're like, I know what that's like. Fed up, Apsu pulled aside Tiamat and suggested that they kill all their children. Okay, I don't know what this is like. This is different. They were just spoiling everything. Tiamat, though, being a protective mom, would hear nothing of it. Absolutely not. But Apsu was angry and decided his way was the best. As he was preparing to kill all of his sons, all of his granddaughters, everyone, the other gods heard about it and they grew afraid. All of them except Ea, who was their great-grandson. Ea decided he would fight back. So when Apsu came for him, he was waiting with a spell that blinded Apsu. He jumped on his back, screaming, ripped the crown off of Apsu's head, and then beheaded him. The other gods were furious that Ea had killed Apsu, and they went to Tiamat to make sure that she knew the true story. 
She was very mad, and she took some time to consider how she would punish Ea. But Ea became pretty popular with some of the other gods, and he ended up having a baby with one of the most beautiful goddesses, Damkina. Together they had several kids, but one of them was Marduk. He was a giant who was the god of rain and storms, which to pause for a second, if you live in Iran or Iraq or in the Middle East, rain is a big deal. This god is really, really important. As one other teaser, um, (laughs) Marduk's name is going to change throughout ancient history to the name Baal. So if you've heard that name before, lots of dots are going to start to connect here. Together they had several kids, but one of them was Marduk. He was a giant who was the god of rain and storms, and he was a vicious warrior. One day Tiamat decided she was going to get revenge on Ian, called together an army of dragons and monsters. Their one job was to kill Ia. It was a terrible battle, and Ia was on the brink of losing when he called out for his son, Marduk, to help him. Marduk absolutely crushed everything in his path. And in the end, he not only killed all the monsters and dragons, but he also ran back to Tiamat's house to kill her as well. Tiamat saw him coming and decided she was a bigger god than him, that she'd simply just eat him. Can identify him. As she opened her mouth to devour Marduk, he blew a gale-force wind that made it so she couldn't close her mouth. And then he shot an arrow down her throat, which hit her in the heart and killed her. Marduk then took her body, put it in pieces, and made some of it to be the sky and the heavens and took other parts to be the earth. But he wasn't done. He demanded that the other gods now become his slaves and to make anything he wanted them to make, canals, houses, to farm his fields, to raise animals, to make food, and more. It wasn't long before the other gods grew angry and told Marduk they didn't want to work for him anymore. Marduk decided to kill everyone who didn't want to work for him. But when he did that, he realized he needed more help, supply and demand. So he created humans by spitting in the ground that was soaked with the blood of the gods. He commanded them to be his slaves, to make canals, to build houses, to farm his fields, to raise his animals, to make his food, and so much more. And Marduk, to this day, rules in power and strength and fear. To be continued. Holy smokes. I mean, it was like we just went from Lion King to like, what the heck happened? Let's just jump straight into the doppelganger on the Venn diagram for this one. This doppelganger is like, um, oh no. Yes, here we go. This doppelganger is like the movie 300 combined with Jerry Springer, combined with Mean Girls, combined with the Joker. Just (laughs) put it in a blender and just like, just blood and death and sadness and just, it's, it's, crazy, right? And I want to be respectful for sure because there, there's whole civilizations, there's incredible, incredible things that are built around these stories. But you can imagine that this is a story that as God is understanding as he's telling the story to Moses, I know where you're going, buddy. I know where you've been. Because I know where you've been, you need to hear the story that I'm about to tell you. But man, because I know where you're going, you need to know the story. And again, dots start to connect that when he's on this mountain, he's being given the Ten Commandments, which say things like, do not murder. Honor your father and your mother. 
Do not kill, do not envy, all of these things. All of a sudden, you start to put as a filter over the story, and you go, oh my gosh. This is a different story. This is a different kind of God. Some of the other things, for those that can't quite see it up here, life is about power. Life is about enslaving the weak, imposing your will. It's like a middle school lunchroom gone wrong. Everything is expendable, including, including children, including parents or grandparents. Humanity is made on purpose, but it's to be subservient. This is the direction that they're going. They need to know so many important things. Now, there's some other things that make the, these stories similar between Egypt and Babylon. There's, there's distinct gods. They're different. There's multiple. They're plural gods going on here. They fight. They have different desires. There's betrayal. There's murder. Another thing that's similar is humanity exists to work in both of these stories. Another thing that I thought was hilarious is there's babies everywhere. And both, like people just keep having babies. Like Oprah, you get one and you get one. <laughs> but there's this emphasis on the, the, the realm of heaven growing. That's where the babies are made is in heaven. That's where the importance of things expanding are is in heaven. That's, that's really distinct and important, and that will remain up there. Okay, if you've had your finger now in Genesis 1 and it's starting to get sweaty and you're like, I'm gonna ruin the page of this Bible, open that up again, this is the time. Um, I figured in the sermon at this point that it would start to get a little boring hearing my voice again for a third story. And so this week was looking through like, is there somebody out there who's done a really good reading of Genesis 1? And I found a treasure. Um, I didn't know this. I wasn't around when this was recorded. Um, But the crew of the Apollo 8 on Christmas Eve was coming over the surface of the moon. And a couple years ago, there was a church down south um, that made this video. And so they're gonna read just the first 10 verses for you, and then I'm gonna finish with a couple more. They're gonna be reading out of the King James Version. I'm gonna be reading out of the New Revised Standard. Whatever you have, I, I long for you to follow along in your own text. You'll be able to translate as we go. Check this out. And God called the firmament heaven, 
So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over everything that lives and moves on the ground. God said, see, I give you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed on the earth and its fruit. And you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth. Creeps. Everything that has breath of life, I give you everything. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that was only the sixth day. We fast-forwarded through a chunk of that, and we're going to be circling back on that over the next five weeks. Oh, it's so delightful. But there's some things, I think, that become really important now for us as we hit these Hebrews and their God, Elohim, things that make him incredibly distinct. So to round out our Venn diagram... There's this weird, harmonious one and three going on. We don't have gods and goddesses. We don't have multiple. It's just, it's this one, but there's three, and it talks to itself, <laughs> which for those of you like me that find yourself talking to yourself and your spouse is like, Do you, are you talking to yourself? Now you can respond with, yes, it's biblical. There you go. This God keeps calling things good. He celebrates creation. He really likes to just enjoy things. That's really important. Also, just to point this out, he calls it good. Ra called it perfect. There's a big difference there. If you're in a life group, one of the questions that if you're gonna go through the sermon questions this week that you'll be talking about is why is that important? If we call things good versus call things perfect, what sort of flexibility does that give us to engage life in a world where things are not perfect. Um, God seems to want a relationship with everything going on. It's not a set it and forget it type of a story, and we'll get into this more over the next couple weeks, but he loves to be involved. He's down on the earth. In fact, the humanity that he makes, it's the one part of creation he makes with his hands. That's the, that's the one part. It's, it's so intimate. And then he shows up, and he's going to walk around and talk with these people. There's this relationship going on. And finally, we're going to get into this in droves, but God expects rest. There's this cadence that comes with a story. It was nighttime. There was rest and quiet. And then the day started and he created. 
And it was nighttime, and he rests, and it stopped. And then he created. And we're going to find out on the seventh day, the entire day, and in fact, it's not even a day. There's no end to it. He just, he just stopped and enjoyed it. And it's amazing. There's babies everywhere in this story too, but I think one big difference is the emphasis is, is not on the realm of heaven growing in itself, but the emphasis is on the realm of heaven growing on earth, and that's beautiful. And I think the movie Doppelganger I have here is The Princess Bride. I love this movie. It, it, there's just this, this incessant guy who just, he loves his princess, and he will stop at nothing. As you wish becomes the thing that he says over and over and over in this story, and there's just this sense of like, I just want to be with you. That's the whole point of the movie. I just want to be with you. I want to enjoy life with you. It's an imperfect metaphor, but it gets close. I needed to put the princess bread in there. All these things hold some things in common too, which this is just for giggles, but Everything's created, one, out of darkness or water or nothingness or chaos or disorder. All of these cultures would understand the origins of life. The the Hebrew word here is tohu vavohu. It's this idea of if you took nothingness, I'm stealing this from a theologian, Marty Solomon. If you took nothingness and put it in a blender and hit whip, you get tohu vavohu. What on earth, like you can't even describe or wrap your head around what it is, it's just, it's chaotic nothingness. That's where things started, and then there's this order that comes in the world. So why does all this matter? Let me bring out the band as we start to land the plane on today. The past two years have been really hard, and I wonder how rested you feel coming into 2022. Are you exhausted? The fires have happened. We're wearing masks at church again today. Is there something in you that just feels like I'm slumped over? And is this gonna be the same again? You feel rested. Here's another question. How much time have you spent this week just enjoying life? Just taking pleasure in life, stopping and looking around for a considerable amount of time. It seems to me like God would do this for a while at the end of each day. He would just stand around and look and smile at stuff. Have you done that? Are you just busy? If you had to give your relationship with God a physical, would it come back clean? Would there be some things that you get the dreaded phone call saying, things don't look so good? This story matters because it affects your life. It affects the rhythms of your life. It affects the rest that you get in your life. This story calls people and things good. And in a year like we've had this last year, the year before, it is so easy. And we live in a culture around us, man, and working with teenagers, teenagers tend to look at the world and go, it's just, it's it's hard, it sucks. Life is brutal. Life is good. This earth is good. People are good. This is good. That's the story that we tell with the lifestyle that we live. And if there's places in your life the last couple years where you've been tempted to go, this is not good, that's not God's story. That's not the prologue. That's not where this begins. He wants, to, he wants us to be a people who see the world with a love and an intentionality like he has. And he wants us to know him personally. 
That's why this story matters. It undergirds the rest of the story. What's the gospel? If it just starts with, well, we screwed up, and then here's all the things that have happened, the gospel becomes about getting sin out of us. But if the gospel starts with, oh, let me tell you how the story is good, there's love, and there's intention, heaven on earth is expanding. Now we're telling a good story. For the next five weeks, um, there's so much more that's packed in here. Today, to be totally upfront, this is a very academic kickoff to things. So if you're like, is every week going to be like this now? Sometimes. But we're going to get into some more stuff that won't be quite so much like a, like a classroom. Um, but I do want you to continue to hold on to these things too. How do you rest? And how do you see rest in these stories coming up again and again? How do you enjoy that's a weird question, but how do you enjoy things? I want you to hold that question. If you can't make it on a Sunday, I hope that you jump online and that you watch because all of these sermons are going to build on each other and it's going to be so important to have the context of everything that came before. But we're going to wrap up our time today doing one of the things that this good prologue invites us to do. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to worship this good God together.